And if you would like an outline, I think Brother Ted has those, or did you pass them all out? Okay, uh, let's go back to the book of First Timothy, and I believe that we should uh, be able to finish up First Timothy tonight. We've been in this wonderful little book for 25 lessons, it says right here, and um, it is easy to lose track. It's been several weeks. We had Brother Nielsen last Sunday, and and um, um, if I could ask Sandra just to turn off that monitor speaker, it's the switch on the side right there. And, um, oh, thank you. I don't know if you can hear it or not, but it is buzzing right in my ear. And so, um, second, I mean, first Timothy chapter six. And we'll start right in verse 13. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Now, Paul is winding down the book of First Timothy. Again, he is writing to a young preacher, a preacher who has literally been trained in the ministry by Timothy. This is one of the things that we look so forward to here as we have Brother Newberger moving out with his family to, to get the final phases of his training and preparation to move out and start a new church by God's grace right here in the city. And uh, these are... Uh, there's nothing better than being able to send someone out and being able to take someone, train them in the ministry, and then go on doing as you would do if you were there. And that's what Timothy was doing for Paul. And he is giving him a charge, a final charge here in these verses that we just read. He says, I give thee charge in the sight of God. And he's done this several times through uh, this book. And this is the last time. And he says, I want you to understand who you're serving. He says, I am I'm giving you this responsibility. But this responsibility of being a preacher is not just for you. You have to understand you're going to fulfill this in the sight of God. Now, is there anything that God does not see? Hello? Anybody ever? That's right. God sees everything. And so he's telling Timothy, I want you to understand God is watching your ministry. Now, it's an interesting thing. That God, who is in control, the creator of the entire universe... The Bible tells us 
right here, as it does in many other places, that God is intimately concerned with what is going on in your life. He is watching. Sometimes we get the idea that, well, maybe God's taking a little break. So I will too. No, you cannot take a break from Christianity. You do not need a break from Christianity. Every once in a while we'll get somebody, well, I'm on vacation, so I'm not going to my church. I'm going to another church. And uh, don't, don't take a vacation from God. You do, and you're going to be in trouble. God is watching all things, and he says, here is God who quickeneth all things. God is the source of life. We like light. We like life. Amen. And Paul's going to refer to that again in just a a few verses here. But it is God who gives life. That old English word, quickeneth or quick, is not referring to the speed in which something is done as we mainly use it today. It's referring to life. Um, Maybe some of you... I've had your grandmother trim your fingernails when you were little and she said, oops, I got the quick. Uh, that meant that there was more than fingernail that just got clipped and you probably found out about it just slightly before she did. And, uh, but the, the word quick refers to that which is alive and God is the source of life. We could spend the whole night on this one. Do not Take the life that God has given you and invest it in anything but His service. Amen? You have to, we have to get a hold of that. The life that we have, the air you breathe, the ability to take in that next breath of air is a gift from God. And if we do not invest that properly, he is watching. He is keeping track. One preacher put it this way, and it's not in your outline at all, but if you could imagine each second of your day as a dollar. Now, there's an awful lot of seconds in a day, amen? 24 hours. Each one of those 24 hours has 60 minutes, and each one of those 60 minutes has 60 seconds, so... If you can multiply 24 by 360, uh, you'll find out there's an awful lot of seconds in one day. How did you invest that time? That's what Paul was telling Timothy here. He says, I charge thee in the sight of God who quickeneth all things. And it's interesting here. And before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. Now, this, of course, is Easter Sunday, and we're just continuing our study in the book of 1 Timothy tonight. But Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate. He was asked questions. He was examined before him twice. And both times, Pilate says, listen, I find no fault in this man. There's a lot of things that Jesus could have said when he was before Pilate. He could have said, you know, these wicked people over here hate me, and that's the only reason I'm standing before you. 
I mean, there was a lot of things that Jesus could have brought forth, but the Bible says that he held his peace because he was going to fulfill the prophecy. Jesus did what was right. And then Paul goes on, God is watching you, Jesus is watching you, that thou keep this commandment. Now, the commandment that he's talking about is actually the whole book of First Timothy. He said, I've given you things that I want you to do. In particular, he is talking about this idea of how to handle finances. He says, uh, for the love of money is the root of all evil. He says, I want you to flee such things. I want you to follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. I want you to fight the good fight. I mean, I, I, one of the reasons I believe Paul was a Baptist preacher is here he's using, I want you to keep this commandment. But just remember, there's about 400 of them between chapter 1, verse 1, and chapter 6 right here. Paul has given Timothy many instructions. And he says, now this is how I want you to keep this commandment. Number one, without spot. He said, I want you to keep the instruction that I've given you. If, if we would stop, some of us older ones, and think about the mistakes and the sins that you have allowed in your life. If you had only had someone who had been standing there with this book to tell you what to do, wouldn't have happened. Amen? And that's the thing that we want for the younger generation. Uh, the American dream is to give a better life to the younger generation. Well, let me tell you how you can give a better life to the younger generation. Warn them and keep them from making the same sinful mistakes that you did when you were a teenager. Amen? Am I in the right church? I mean, you ought to be able to say amen to that. And you don't have to be a parent and have children to warn our teenagers and our young people Listen to your parents. Listen to the Bible. Just one little spot. Now, can let me finish that sentence. One little spot can cause an awful lot of heartache. Amen? He's told Timothy, listen, without spot. You keep this commandment. You keep it day in. You keep it day out. You do not let it, let yourself slip. So many of the things in the Bible are just so simple. Amen? They're not complicated. It's not some big long, I've heard people say, oh, the Bible is such a big long list of do's and don'ts. Um, I don't, I don't believe that. It's not a big, long list. It's actually quite a short list. And most of the things it tells us, it tells us to do. And if you'll take care of the do, most of the don'ts won't t will take care of themselves. Amen? It's not a complicated thing to live for God. It's not a complicated thing. In fact, the more biblical I become in my life, the more simple my life becomes. 
I don't have a lot of complicated things I'm trying to figure out. Uh, I'll tell you, I used to exercise myself on politics and just really want to understand everything that's going on. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I don't want to understand everything that's going on anymore. Uh, I'm afraid I understand too much. But you know what? That doesn't excuse me from being obedient to Jesus Christ. Boy, there's simplicity. There is some peace there. There is some comfort knowing that one day I'll stand before God and the Father and I'll be without spot, not because of my doings, but because of Jesus Christ. He said, without spot, unrebukable. He's saying, I'm charging you before God, before Christ Jesus, that thou keep this commandment without spot, and thou keep this commandment unrebukable, that you do not do anything as a preacher that would bring rebuke upon the name of Christ. Now, how many of you follow the news at all? What kind of militia people were arrested in Michigan last week? Anybody like to fill in the blank? Yes, the news media uses the word Christian militia. That is like saying Christian evil. Uh, That is like saying good poison or Christian rock and roll. I mean, all of these things are what we call oxymorons. Emphasis on the last syllable of that phrase. you you have got to have a uh, inhibited IQ to believe such foolishness. There's no such thing as a Christian militia. There is no person that has ever obeyed the word of God that's picked up a gun and planned to go out and shoot somebody. Never. Ever. Now, let's set history correct. There are many people who want to hold the Bible in one hand and a gun in the other. But that is simply because they're trying to get justification for their own wickedness. Here's what God says. He says, you obey the laws of the land until the laws of the land demand you disobey God. Then you obey God anyway. Amen? And if you're going to suffer for it, you suffer for it. Because it is not... Your right to straighten out the government. This is the only time in history where we as a people, you don't like what the government's doing? Got one question for you. Did you vote the last election? If you didn't, then it's your fault. Vote the next one. Because you do have a say here. Exercise it. But you have no right to overthrow it. That is not in the Bible. And that's what Paul was warning Timothy. Don't do things that are going to bring rebuke upon you and the ministry of Christ. And, of course, we understand what the news media is trying to do. Anyone who is nonconformist, anyone who is not doing exactly what they say and believe that a person should do has got to be crazy And uh, the simple truth is, you keep the commandment without spot, unrebukable, and you don't get a day off until the trumpet sounds. Amen? Uh, You've got to keep this commandment unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Timothy, 
kept that commandment as far as we know, and he faithfully executed what Paul told him to do. But Timothy was in the grave a long, long time, and Jesus still hasn't come back yet. Guess what? That application is for you and I to keep the command without spot, unrebukable, until Jesus comes back. Verse 15, and Paul explains, which in his time shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but uh, how many have ever heard the word potentate used outside the Bible? Uh, the only time you ever hear it used outside the Bible is when the Catholic Church is talking about the Pope. Uh, th- these are some of the titles that he has assumed over the centuries. He claims to be the only potentate. He, uh, he claims to be the vicar of Christ, which means that since Jesus is not here on this earth right now, he stands in Christ's place. Now, I'm sorry, that's blasphemy. Uh, No man or religion has a right to make those claims. But Jesus isn't the, I mean, the Pope isn't the only one who has done this. Let's give you some names of other people who have claimed to be the potentate. Has anybody heard of Napoleon Bonaparte? He wanted to be the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He wanted to be the only potentate. Uh, Praise God. There was a a British general there in a little town called Waterloo, and and, uh, that was the end of Napoleon. But there's many people. How many remember David Koresh, the wacko from Waco? He couldn't figure out whether he was Jesus or just his messenger. And, of course, we would say... uh, Mr. Koresh, you need to figure out your medications first. Amen? Uh, There's just some mental, mental problems there for a person who would think that he could be Jesus Christ. There's, and, and there will be many others who will come, and this is the spirit of Antichrist, and you better get ready. He's coming. But when it's all over, Jesus is going to show that He is the only King. Amen? There can only be one supreme ruler. I met a guy on the street Saturday. We were passing out tracts. And he said, oh, I believe in the Bible. And really, when were you born again? Well, um, I never was. I don't think I was. Well, I said, well, then you don't believe the Bible. And we talked a little further, and he says, oh, I don't believe in hell. I says, well, you don't believe the Bible. Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven, because he doesn't want anybody to go there. Amen? Listen, there's only one King of Kings. There's only one Supreme Being. There's only one Lord of Lords. And now we get a description of him. It says... Who only hath immortality. Now, immortality is eternal life. Life without end. 
Do you know why this whole vampire thing has become so popular? It's because, quote-unquote, vampires are the living dead. They don't die. They, they keep living on and on and on and on. A 135-year-old vampire is supposed to fall in love with a 16-year-old girl or something like that. that. That is beyond perverse, my friend. And really what all of this stuff is, is a blasphemy against he who only hath immortality. People will do anything for their 15 minutes of fame. Just to be recorded in the history books. Uh, I don't know if you heard, but that fellow that told his kid to call up the police and say that my brother was in the weather balloon that just took off from the house. He just got out of jail this week. Why, why was he trying to do this? He was trying to get attention Trying to get his 15 minutes of fame. He needed more money. Wanted another reality TV show or something. Listen. Just because you're on TV does not mean anybody's going to remember you. I mean, unless you visit Cracker Barrel, you have no idea who Patsy Cline is. Does anybody remember her? She was one of the most famous country singers in the country died in a plane wreck they still play her records but like I said unless you visit Cracker Barrel or old enough to remember you don't know who she is it's all the great football players all the great basketball players and the not-so-great golf players. I mean, we just... They're all going to be history. Only Jesus has immortality. Worship Him. Amen. It says, Dwelling in the light which no man can approach to, whom no man has seen, nor can see. Now, what Paul is referring to, even though the book of Revelation had not been written yet, was at the end of the book of Revelation, we get a discussion of the New Jerusalem. And it tells us that that New Jerusalem hath no need of the sun, for the Lamb is the light of that city. When And this is who Jesus is. He is the only one that hath immortality. He is the only one that he dwells in the light which no man can approach to. One of these days we're going to be able to see the glorified Christ. He has veiled himself because we cannot look upon him and live. The Bible says, to whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. If we had time tonight, we'd read Revelation chapters 4 and 5, where it talks about God's greatness and the worship of God in heaven. This is whom we serve. He is the source of life and light. 
He is the source of, source of our faith. Our faith is what we cannot see, yet we still believe. No one here has seen the resurrected Christ. But how many of you believe he died on the cross for your sins and rose again from the dead? Amen? That is what we call faith. How many of you know God answers prayers? That's faith. You say, every once in a while I can see God do something. Yes, we can. But it is still faith, believing that it is God is the one who does these things. And the source of all power. This is what we want God to have in our life. How many people have lived in bondage to sin and now God has given them the victory over that sin? Amen? This is what we're talking about here. Now we've got a few more verses here. And I think we can get through them quickly. It says, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Now that would have solved an awful lot of problems with the Wall Street collapse of a little over a year or two ago. Amen? Our, our trust needs to be in God. Riches are uncertain Everybody now, how many of you heard the advertisement? Buy gold. Buy gold. Buy gold. Do you know what? Gold, there will come a day, read in your Bible, when gold will be worthless. And by the way, it doesn't matter how much gold you have if there's no food to buy. It's not going to do you any good. Be not high-minded. That's one of our great problems is we've got some rich people running around the world who think they can solve all the world's problems. Nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth rich, us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good. That they that be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. The Bible says, listen, if you're going to be rich, use what God has given you to serve God. Uh, I'm thankful for a man. I can give his name now. He's with the Lord. And uh, he, was, he had asked me to be very careful about giving his name out because he gave us some rather large donations to help us buy our building. And he didn't want everybody saying, well, I'm a friend of Pete Montour. Remember how? And he's with the Lord now, and so we don't have to worry about that. And I think something just went weird noise here. Oh, it dropped. There we go. And listen here. Let's get right back here. If you've got riches, use them to serve God. That's what it says, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. He'd already told Timothy, if you remember, follow after these things that thou mayest hold on to etern- lay hold on eternal life. You do not earn eternal life by the things that you do, but if you have eternal life, you're going to do certain things. And if you're not doing them, 
This is what Paul's saying. You better check it out. If you're not living your faith, if your faith isn't good enough to get you to work on Monday, if it's not good enough to solve the problems when you go to a family reunion, if it, your faith isn't strong enough to bring you through all of the topsy-turvy circumstances of our day, then maybe you ought to trade it in for a better variety. That's what Paul's telling Timothy here. And then he says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Now, here's a few things to avoid. Profane and vain babblings. Now, there is an awful lot of profane things in our world today. could spend the whole night on this. This is one of the reasons why we object strenuously to what is known as Christian rock and roll music or contemporary Christian music because it's profane music. It is music that is used by the world to promote the world to uh, born in the dungeons of depravity, we might say. Don't bring profane things or worldly things into the church. And vain babblings. You know, this is why we don't read James Dobson's books and promote his things. There's no such thing as Christian psychology. It's either psychology or it's biblical counsel. You cannot mix the two. They don't go together. He says, listen, don't go to the world to get what you need to serve Christ. And don't engage in vain babblings. I was in the Christian bookstore a while back, and I'm just sitting there looking through some of the different things, waiting on something I was getting. And I saw a whole set of comic strip books on archangels. And I said, man, this looks weird. Opened it up, and this really was weird. I just shut it. Vain babblings. No one knows anything about archangels except they show up in a few places and they're really powerful beings. We have Gabriel, we have Michael, and uh, some people say that the devil was an archangel before he became the devil, but he certainly isn't one now. And I've just told you everything the Bible says about archangels. Anything else is fantasy land. Don't waste your time on that stuff. Vain babblings, and here's the last one, and oppositions of science falsely so-called. It says, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Now, oppositions of science falsely so-called. Have you ever heard of Christian science? That's Mary Baker Eddy. They have reading rooms. They have the Christian Science Monitor. You hear uh, reports. It's one of the largest news organizations in the country that's privately owned. It's owned by the Christian Science Church, um, which is none of those things. It's not Christian. It's not science. And it has nothing to do with church. But you know what? They have all kinds of things to say. 
Sigmund Freud came out with science to explain how people behave. But no one, even most psychologists and psychiatrists today, want to have anything to do with Sigmund Freud because he was a moral pervert of the first degree. The man should have been locked in prison and kept there. And yet people use his textbooks to help people understand. If you've ever read any of that stuff, you know how perverse that man was. We have scientists who claim the Bible can't be true because the earth is billions and billions of years old. Anybody remember Carl Sagan? Billions and billions and billions of years. And yet, there are so many mathematical things that we can check out. We can prove the earth is not old. We can measure the amount of dust that filters through space and lands on earth. If the earth were five billion years old, According to the present cycle of dust collection, the layer of dust upon the earth would be 127 miles thick. Uh, That's thicker than our atmosphere, my friend. There would be no life on earth. And yet, they believe this stuff. And then we have Christians come along and say, listen, Sigmund Freud can help us understand how to solve people's problems. No, no. The Bible will help you understand people's problems. I am not interested in a gap theory between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. You've heard me before. The gap theory is simply the space in between the ears of those people who believe in it. Uh, there's, There's no need to reconcile this book with false science. The oldest fossil that we have of man is an elbow joint. Now, it's kind of interesting that it's an elbow joint because that is one of the few um, anthropological parts of the body that man can be traced. An elbow is very different in a man than it is in a monkey uh, or an ape or a primate or anything else. This fossil was originally dated at 4.5 billion years old, which is almost the beginning of the world, according to the evolutionist. Until they discovered that it was perfectly modern human in its form and in its shape. So what do we do? Well, we just redate the specimen because it doesn't agree with our knowledge. If you don't believe that stuff happens, read it. Study it. There's an awful lot of liars, not only in politics, but over at the Museum of Natural History. Uh, There's an awful lot of liars in the psychology and psychoanalysis and psychiatry wards. An awful lot of liars there. I remember working in a nursing home while I was in Bible college and a fella came in. He was a psychiatrist. He was working on treating and defining a new disease, one that we all are very familiar with. It was just in the beginning stages of being understood and classified, Alzheimer's disease. And he began to talk to us about some of the drug therapy they used. 
And he says, we give some people, we found some real progress with such and such a medication, and I'm not going to give the name today, and I don't even know if I remember it correctly, but here's what he said that just really, really put me on guard. He says, we give it to some people, and it works well, and he says, we give it to others. And he says, I don't know how to describe this, but it makes you feel like you're crawling out of your skin like it were a cocoon. It just drives them crazy. He says, but we give it to some people and it works pretty good. (laughs) I'm sitting here going, you're experimenting on these people in a nursing home as if they were rats. I didn't say it out loud because I would have gotten fired. But this is what goes on, my friend. Paul wasn't out of line when he said oppositions of science falsely so-called. Amen? Stay away from this stuff. Because it doesn't reconcile with Christianity. I do not need to reconcile this book with someone's false presupposition about the universe in which I live. There are many things in this book called the Bible. I can see evidence for Noah's flood almost anywhere in the world I want to go. How do you think the Grand Canyon got there? Someone said, well, it wasn't created in the flood. Well, we're not saying that it was, but all those waters had to go somewhere. They talk about an inland sea covering all of central United States. Where do you think that inland sea came from? Oh, it came from the melting glaciers. Oh, really? Where did the glaciers come from? Well, you see, everything just got cold after a while and the glaciers formed. And we had an ice age that lasted 10,000 years long. Well, wait a minute. You want to read a book? I got one. Noah's flood explains the ice age. It didn't last 10,000 years. But all that water in Noah's flood went somewhere. It froze. And as the earth began to re-regulate and move, those glaciers broke off and formed most of our geographical uh, uh, formations of today that we know and understand. It's an interesting study if you study the Word of God. And you know what? It actually makes sense. Unlike... A bunch of garbage swirled in a pool until a man walked out. That doesn't make a bit of sense to me. Now, I know a lot of people that act like monkeys. But I don't know any monkeys that act like people. Amen? Unless they've been trained by people. Isn't that true? You heard about the monkey they trained somewhere. I don't even know where it was, but the monkey would ask for cigarettes and beer. And if you didn't give them to him, then he would curse you. Um, Can I tell you that doesn't come out of nature? Somebody trained the monkey now, didn't they? Listen, here's what Paul told Timothy. Keep that which is committed to thy trust. 
If I'm going to have a choice between Sigmund Freud and Jesus Christ, guess who wins? If I have a choice between Sigmund Freud and Charles Darwin, guess who wins? If I have a choice between Sigmund Freud and Congress, guess who loses? They both, I mean, Jesus Christ in Congress. Sigmund Freud in Congress, that'd be a toss-up, wouldn't it? Every once in a while you catch yourself saying things you never meant to say. But, listen, if there's a choice, choose God's Word. That's what Timothy told Paul. And when we stand before God, are you going to be upset that you didn't choose the Word of God? Absolutely not. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. We ask you to to put these things in our heart and mind. We covered a lot of material very quickly here. Pray that it would not be confusing, but Lord, that it would lead us to just simply obey you and your word. We ask that you would take these next few moments as we prepare for the prayer time to follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And we'll take just a few moments if you'd like to pray.